So hello, my name is Paul Hudson and... I am Sean Allen. Who here has been excited at all things from WWDC? <laughs> Loving it? Yes. Yes. I think Sean and I are also quite excited. Slightly. <laughs> a little overwhelmed. Who's overwhelmed? That's the better question. I yeah. Like, <laughs> so what's the show this time? It's a bit of a variation because Dub Dub Week, tons of things are happening, special events, slightly longer podcasts this time. What's the plan, Sean? Yeah, so first we're going to go over news and we're going to focus on Swift. Then we're going to do uh, some catalyst information and open ballot. But it's not just Paul and I. We got some special guests coming up. Special. <laughs> Who are they, Paul? Well, we have our good friends, Kaya Thomas, Christina Fox, <laughs> Guy Rambo, and JP Simard. <laughs> All of whom I'm sure have lots to talk about, about the amazing things from WWDC. Um, before we start, a few points of interest. We have stickers. <laughs> Whoa! Not magnets, we couldn't afford magnets, we get stickers. Um, but there'll be a quiz at the end, if you get it right, you get a sticker. I'm just kidding, you'll get stickers. Um, secondly, this is a free event, and we're so grateful to Max Stadium for sponsoring it to make it free. Thank you very much, Max Stadium. Hold on, hold on, I gotta get my coffee. You made me run down here and get this, so. You made me run down twice to get mine as well. Least, I wanted this to be Swift over beer, but he, he, did, not, he did not agree. <laughs> Uh, despite some of the lineup, I should say up front, there will be no rumors and leaks at this event. There is so much public stuff to talk about alone from Monday. It's all public information. Uh, and to kick off, I think let's talk about what we personally found most. Before we get into the news, what you thought was cool. Yep, sounds good. Uh, I'll start with my pick. What do you think? Yeah, do it. Yeah, so uh, my top pick was not SwiftUI. It was uh, <laughs> sign-in sign with Apple was my top pick. And we're going to get into more. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Nobody likes those Google sign-in, Facebook sign-ins. I never used them. I hated them. So it's nice to have a trustworthy, universal kind of authentication. So I'm pumped about that. Yeah, I think sign with Facebook basically means spam me, give me away all my information ever. Yeah, bad idea. My top pick was a framework. I saw it immediately. I'm like, wow, that looks amazing. I've got to get into that. It was Core Haptics. They have totally, totally opened up the way you can do vibration control on your phone. And it's extraordinary. You can have many continuous vibrations or taps at various strengths, sharpnesses, and so forth. It is remarkable. And it's completely programmable. Or you can use JSON to control it. Uh, I don't know how they've taken to do it, but some of the things you've got to do, like I've written some JSON, it was like, wow, this is 300 lines of JSON to get a fairly simple effect. But it feels incredible. I think it works on all. Modern iPhones? Yeah. Like, and it was like Taptic Engine enabled, basically. So it's good. Anyway, news. Yeah, let's hop into the news. And for that, we're going to bring up our first guest, uh, Christina Fox, to talk about the news. Come on, Christina. Watch the coffee. Watch the coffee. There we go. There we go. You got the coffee landmines there you got to watch out for. Yeah. <laughs> so every episode, we normally like to do a new section. There was a few things announced this week that I think we'll probably start off with, just a couple. And um, what was your what favorite thing, actually, about Dub all the things you had? Oh, well, you know. You know. <laughs> Obviously, independent watch apps. Absolutely my favorite thing. Finally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see many watches here, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those that aren't familiar with Christina, she is the Apple Watch connoisseur, so... <laughs> Oh, yes. No, definitely. I, you know, the biggest thing that I'm most excited about, surprisingly, are text fields on watch, because now that's supported and you can put in your password and everything. And wow. then 
not having to necessarily do watch connectivity anymore to transfer data between because those APIs were a little harder, hard to work with. So this means you can now get onto like random hotel Wi-Fi using your watch. Yes? Pretty much. That alone, like mic drop. <laughs> <We're done. laughs> How do we feel about text entry on the watch, though, with those text fields? So, okay. Oh, so quit, quitty, I, man. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, you obviously can do Siri dictation as one thing, but you know, speaking out your password might be a little bit sketchy out in public. So they also have a way to ha basically hand off to oh, nice. the phone or to your iPad if you're signed into an iCloud account on both of the devices with your watch. Nice. So basically similar to if you've ever used your Apple TV and like hand it off to type in your passwords, same thing. Nice. Yeah. Super exciting. Nice. What about the uh, the watch app store? Oh yes, I I'm I'm personally really excited about that because I think the independent watch apps is going to open up a whole variety of new apps that we would never have had before. Like. I know that I've personally had a pet project that I've wanted to create for a long time, but my sticking point was, that the, was the fact that I didn't have a real iPhone app to go with it. That it was just too simple of a use case to have an iPhone app for. So hopefully, now that it's publicly announced, I'll, uh, I'll have something shipped by the, by summer, You're by the end of summer. <laughs> I, it'd be nice, actually. The only app actually run on Apple Watch is the ECG. I do it like every few hours. I'm like, has it changed? No, I'm still okay. Has it changed, has it changed now? <laughs> yeah, that hasn't helped me at all. I'm a hybrid contractor, it turns out. Anyway, <laughs> news, Sean, what do we have? News. Uh, so the news, the big, uh, first big thing we got here is dark mode that everybody was mm. looking forward to. And this dub dub was so big, I feel like we kind of glossed over dark mode a little bit with all the other announcements. Yeah, before the announcement, it was like, wow, dark mode, dark mode, and, 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 and everything else, basically. It's just like yeah. rounding error. Yeah. But Paul, what do we got with some, uh, some of the colors with dark mode, right? Because they do colors differently now. Right, so if you're using things like uicolor.red and similar, what you'll find now is the red you were using isn't really red anymore. It's sort of lighter on light mode and darker on dark mode. It adapts automatically. It's no longer pure red. But also, they've added semantic colors. So you can now say primary label color, secondary label color. If you've done Mac OS stuff, this is old news. You can sleep through this bit. But on iOS, you've been saying, you know, black color and white color for too long. Of course, that doesn't work in dark mode. So now you can go back and change all your code to say primary label, secondary label, and similar. Yeah, the other thing I found super interesting about that was this whole idea of like a heart hierarchy to your semantic colors mm, too, right? Yeah. So if you're using like the system background color, it's it's black at the base level, but then if you have a view super that's clever. popped over that, then it's it's more like a dark gray rather than Ooh, black. Yeah, like midnight blue. Mid yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like I was like, oh, there's like actually, you know, it's not all flat UI anymore. It's really you can see the fact that there's a contextual window on top of everything. It's like we're undoing the sins of iOS 7. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the next story, uh, let's talk about what's new in Xcode. And you know we could do a whole talk on this, so we'll just kind of keep it to the highlights. Uh, my favorite is the mini-map. Thank you to whoever did that. I love that little thing. Louis. Cheers, Louis. If you're in the audience, you rock. You're awesome. Good job. <laughs> what do you guys think of the mini-map? I mean... It's a mini-map. Yep, yes. of course. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's, it. it's one of those things I actually turned it off straight away, because if you've used Swift UI, um, you realize half your UI is gone with the preview. <laughs> so losing a further third to the mini-map, you're like, nah. Yeah, well, you know, for those uh, huge uh, view controllers that you currently have in your app right now. View what? View the controllers? <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Hmm. I remember those. Is, are those, is that not uh, like a bad word now in, in the Swift yeah. community? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, another thing I was a big fan of was the, uh, the change bar. I don't know if that's the official title for it, but where you could, the blue bar on the side, where you could right click it, discard changes. I use that all the time. I, was, I love that, but they uh, made it even better, showing like a little mini diff now when you uh, show that. So big fan of that too. It's one of those many, many Exco features that you will forget every six months and then <laughs> rediscover it and go, wow, that's really cool, and then forget again. Yeah. <laughs> And then we got some stuff on formatted markdown and faster simulators. What do you think about that, Paul? So do, you, do any of you use comments in your code? <laughs> <laughs> so you should know triple slash comments make markdown comments. And you could do you know, bold italics in there. It would show up in the Xcode pane as formatted stuff. And now they've added rich text support to Xcode source editor. So you'll see bold and italics right in your source code. And controversially, your comments are now in Helvetica. You know, not a fixed width font anymore, so it sticks out a little bit. So that is the first thing, well, second thing after the minimap, that you turn off. <laughs> so, sorry, Louis, I love it, but come on, with, with the Swift UI, it's just too hard. I'm not turning off the minimap, and I'm not using Swift UI. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> these are jokes, not, these are jokes. Not yet, not yeah, yet, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that, we'll get to that. Uh, so we got ARKit in Reality Composer as well. Christina, you have some thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, for me, our ARKit's always been something that has dramatically changed like how I use I use apps like for the Target app for example like I love being able to just drop in furniture randomly in my living room and be like oh yeah that looks pretty good no that looks terrible get rid of it get rid of it right now <laughs> yeah it's one of those things that uh, as with I think all of AR kit for me so far I look at and go that's so cool never gonna use it <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I think about things like, you know, how to make better table views, and that, of course, is Swift UI. Um, so it's one of those very, very startlingly cool things that just hasn't quite grabbed me yet. But I, I, this does feel, honestly, this feels like phase one. That phase two, next year, will be massive. So you heard it here, folks. Dub of 20, come back to that. <laughs> Our next live event, oh, come on. <laughs> even bigger stuff. You mean you're not going to be playing Minecraft with your kids? You know, diving in all of the I little nooks and crannies? Minecraft is. <laughs> I'm so old, Christine. <laughs> He's lying. He's lying. Uh, what about some of uh, the text recognition on the uh, vision framework? This is another one of those features that any other year, any literal other year, would have been like, this is astonishing. This is amazing stuff. But this year, it's like, what? Gone. The whole stuff. You know, dark mode and other stuff. Gone. Swift UI. <laughs> vision is obviously very clever. Or ML powered. It's had a massive upgrade this year to do things I've been wanting for a long time. Optical character recognition. You can just scan business cards or receipts or documents, bang, they're in your app with text to read out or search or voice over whatever you want to, which is remarkable, and now it just works. Plus, you have image saliency. Have you tried that yet? You're aware of that? Haven't tried it yet. Saliency. What's saliency mean? Paul, some of us like to sleep. Like, <laughs> not, not all of us have gone like, <laughs> crazy into this. It's only been two days. Look, if you look at the tiny size of your coffee and the big one of mine. <laughs> and, and, and that's it's like, got a hustle, Sean. That's like your fifth coffee of the day, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I walked past um, Paolo Mato, and I had two coffees at a time. <laughs> that's how bad I am. <laughs> it's really bad right now. Image saliency. <clears throat> back, back to the point here. Uh, is determining how interesting different parts of an image are. So if, for example, you look at a picture with uh, some kids or you know, some people or a horse, it would zoom in on that bit and say, yeah, that there's interesting. And this is apparently used by the photos team. So when it makes their, you know, their movies they do, the cute little movies they do, it'll know where to do a sort of Ken Burns effect. That's the interesting bit of the picture. So it's super cool. So anyway, I think we loved Double 19, yeah? Great so event. far, yeah. It's only yeah. Wednesday. It feels like yeah. we've been two weeks into it, but it's been two days. 
We I'm still a- have two days left. Oh, Can you believe that. it? All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you very much, Christina. Thank you. Christina, round of applause. Come on up, JP. We got now, JP Smart. We have, of course, Xcode 11 shipped as beta form, and it's shipped with Swift 5.1 with stacks of new features. Uh, and hopefully, JP here is significantly smarter than both Sean and I combined, can really get into what these things mean, and hopefully, why? I mean, that's very humble of you to say that, uh, but who's been cranking out all of that content over the last 48 hours? Yeah, that's bananas. That, that was Paul. <laughs> So the videos are done by Paul Clones 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> and they each do have two sets of coffees, so that explains it. There you go. Also, real quick, if you're, if you're not familiar with JP's work, uh, tons of work, but listen to Swift Unwrapped if you're really interested into uh, Swift Evolution. It's an amazing podcast him and uh, Jesse Squires do. So if you're not familiar with that one, definitely check that out. And are there any, any Swift Lint users in the house? Any Me. Swift Lint? Yeah. 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 You can blame him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I love to just yell at people's code all the time, and so that's why I tried to multiply myself as well. So obviously, stacks of things announced. What is your big takeaway? What do you like the most? Yeah, so my top pick is probably going to be what people in the community have been clamoring for the last few years, this really better integration of Swift Package Manager and Xcode. Let's hear it for that. It is really slick. And when I say better, I mean some, which is already a great starting point. But overall, all the things that you can do, you can double-click your package.swift file, and that'll just create, automatically create an Xcode project uh, for your Swift package. And you can start editing it, building it from Xcode right then and there, set breakpoints, use LDB, all the powerful Xcode stuff. I say some things, so there's more things still to come, or...? Well, surely uh, this is laying the foundation for more, uh, more integration surely. in years to come. See, you all heard all these amazing things you heard here first, folks. <laughs> okay, so what is new in Swift 5.1, and why should we care? So this is, this is actually kind of huge, especially uh, when you consider the Swift UI, which is really laying a lot of future direction for where Apple sees UI frameworks moving forward. A lot of that is being powered by things that are still being baked in the Swift language, right? This is very bleeding edge to the point where a handful of pitches and evolution, com- evolution proposals actually came out after the WWDC keynote just to kind of uh, set the tone there. Um, so really a better question is like, what is not relevant in Swift 5.1 for, for things like Swift UI? Um, so there's a ton, right? When, when you talk about things like ABI stability, which has been years in the making, that's a big part in enabling Apple to be able to ship something like Swift UI as part of, as part of the OS, right? So that's a big part, ABI stability. And now module stability? Same with module stability. You... I, I, I'm sure I know the guy who made that. Uh, ha, 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 what's his name? Ha, 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 Harlan Haskins. <laughs> Re- <laughs> repeat Swift compiler criminal sitting over there. <laughs> uh, no. He's done some astonishingly good work. If you like, say, hash warning and hash error in Swift, which I love, Harlan, shake his hand later on. Yeah, and that's the great thing about this week is that you just, yes, Harlan. Yes, Thank Harlan. And team! <laughs> no, it was all Harlan. Every bit of Swift Mobile was all Harlan. 
Uh, so, so really, those two things uh, are, are a huge enabler for a lot of the powerful features that are coming in iOS 13, Swift UI, et cetera. Mm. Um, but beyond that, we have a number of Swift evolution proposals that have been in, in the making for some time, and some that, like I mentioned, are, are fresh as of this week, in order to enable a lot of what Swift UI does. Um, things like emitting return types uh, really helps improve the, um, the way that you read your UI and really helps bridge the gap to have uh, your source code as the source of truth for your UI. So you mean emitting return types, what do you mean? So by that I mean when you have a single expression, so things that right. could be separated by a semicolon, uh, God forbid, or a new line, um, that is a single expression, right? So in this case, uh, this is something that Swift has had for years in closures, where if you had a closure, you could just uh, emit the return type, but in this case, it's actually for, um, uh, for, for functions and, and subscripts as well. Yeah, so you'll see functions now without the word return in there, I'll be honest, it's a bit of a double take moment at first. You're like, missing this out here. It's apparently valid now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's actually a big part of what makes, um, for example, SwiftUI really readable, right? It's like six characters saved. Yeah, but when you're doing that for like every single view that you're representing, yeah. that Hundreds adds up. Hundreds of characters saved, right? I know. Literally minutes per day. You can reinvest those characters into more cups of coffee. Or more tweets. <laughs> yeah, or more hot takes. Um, what else? So we have property wrappers, right? So if you've oh, seen yeah. at state, at uh, uh, object binding, at, uh, I mean, gesture mm. storable or something like that, you know, the names are still kind of fresh in my head. Um, that's all being powered by this concept called property wrappers, which uh, is still in the pitch phase, uh, but at this point there's quite a bit of weight behind it, so it's likely <laughs> that in some shape or form it's probably going to make it it's into 5.1. Right? Surely, it's got to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's been prophesized, so it must be. <laughs> Uh, so property wrappers are actually super useful even beyond SwiftUI. So you could, for example, in your own code base, you could build your own property wrappers so that every time you access a property, either reading or writing, you could go through an intermediary wrapper and do all sorts of custom magic, whatever you want to do. So either like backing a property by NS user default or some sort of database query or something like that. So what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Uh, what else? So we have opaque result types, so the sum keyword, where you see some view. Mm. If you didn't have that, with all the complexity of generics when you're building up these composable views, you'd have this extremely long generic function signature or, or, method, or type signature, yes. uh, which would quickly become unwieldy. And so in this case, you can easily just compose views because everything's just some view. So yeah. that's really nice. Well, I can say now, this is important when you're doing a Swift 5.1 code. If you make a function that returns a type of child, and it's a throwing function, with opaque return types, you can now say, throw some child in Swift, and it's valid Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Took some time, that one, yeah, it's good. This is Baby Shaker all over again. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> you, you should be careful what you're endorsing here. Paul has two kids, too, I'm amazed. And two dogs, uh, the pack is growing. Uh, a final big one, um, uh, the, actually two big ones that I want to call out is swizzling native to Swift now with the uh, at dynamic replaceable for attribute, which is a little bit, bit of a mind bender, but this is what allows uh, Swift UI to do hot reloading. So this is a new feature being added to Swift 5.1, uh, probably just available by Apple for the time being. Uh, we'll see kind of where that goes and, and if there's a Swift evolution proposal that follows it. Yeah, I think it's really important we say to the Swift people, you know, we want better strings. And they say, no, you want opaque return types. 
Ah, we're better at strings. No, you want methods whizzling. No, no, no. We want so could be Swift seven at this rate. I think until we, we want async await. No, async here's await. all of ABI stability and module stability. Yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah. Uh, no, but a lot of this has kind of been culminating to this moment, right? Um, to, so to see it all come together at once is, is really uh, right. Impressive. So basically, if you've been looking at evolution and thinking, what the heck is that for? Because I certainly have some things. Going, I can't even imagine why I'd want to use that feature. Now, <laughs> yep. with Swift UI, it's all becoming vaguely clear. Turns out that Apple's been uh, really uh, pushing the envelope on a lot of this stuff. And if you saw, for example, why would I want to remove commas from my lists, right? Well, maybe they had some of this in mind, right, with this readability. That was declined, wasn't it? Uh, that was declined, yeah. Uh, and ultimately, something sort of replaced um, functionally what this looks like, which is in Swift UI, you can compose a bunch of views by just calling... Uh, by, by just creating the views without necessarily like returning it or appending it to some array. And this is part of uh, the new pitch that was introduced this week, which is function builders. So function builders is uh, this concept that any Swift developer will be able to tap into if it passes Swift evolution, which again, they kind of stacked <laughs> the decks uh, in order to get this in. But uh, if, if you can think of your own mini uh, domain-specific languages that you want to build in your app in order to compose, like call a bunch of functions and uh, automatically collect the results in some sort of builder, this is function builders. And, uh, and that's a critical tenet of how um, Swift UI actually builds its, uh, its composable views. Yeah, so it, it's been uh, in Xcode 11, the Swift 5.1. It's been on the WWDC stage. It's on the What's New in Swift stage. And that basically means it's happening, right? I mean, they don't cancel things unless it's their power, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. So it looks like Swift UI is basically the natural result of Swift 5.1. Right. There was a lot of initial reaction in terms of Swift UI being, well, why do you have Swift in the name, right? Well, you can see now that there is so much language functionality that is still baking in the oven that is critical to making this work uh, as seamless as it appears to work anyway on slides. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that sort of explains it. Great, okay. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, JP. Whoa, whoa. One second. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. He's <laughs> so keen. <laughs> just kidding, Keith. Uh, no, we have to thank our sponsor because this wouldn't have been possible without Max Stadium sponsoring this. Uh, so thank you very much for Max Stadium. And I got to do a little read here. So uh, our sponsor today is Max Stadium, provider of Apple Mac infrastructure as a service. Whether you need a single Mac Mini or a fully scalable Mac private cloud, Max Stadium can help you move your iOS and Mac app development out from under your desk and into the cloud. Uh, Max Stadium has years of expertise doing uh, this with companies like Box, Shopify, Pandora, and many more with over 3,000 customers worldwide. Uh, and this week, Max Stadium is officially announcing Orca, with a K, uh, which is their latest cloud solution for Mac clouds. Orca stands for orchestration with Kubernetes on Apple, and the only way to use uh, native Kubernetes commands to create and orchestrate Mac OS VMs on genuine Apple hardware. If you're building the apps with the Apple ecosystem, uh, learn more at Mac Stadium's infrastructure at macstadium.com, or stop by their table here at AltConf. Yeah, so, <laughs> Mac Stadium. This is not part of Mac Stadium's sponsored message. Um, I just want to add a few words because um, when Sean and I decided to do a live podcast here at AltConf during Dub Dub Week, we knew this is our chance to make a difference to the community. And the folks at AltConf give this space for free. The folks at Breaker recording and uh, mixing it for free, which is amazing. Uh, and all our guest speakers are going up their time for free, which is uh, wonderful of them. So when I approached Mac Stadium, 
I said to them, listen, this is all free. Could you please sponsor the show and donate the money to a charity? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Not, not, not even a second thought. They went for it straight away, which is absolutely amazing. So in coming here and supporting this with our great speakers, we're making a real difference to real charities of folks who actually need it. And that, I think, is what community really ought to be about. Because evolution's great. I love tabs and spaces and stuff. You know, I have a good argument about MVVM or Swift UI. Discussion, of course. But actually make a difference to folks outside this room is where it's at. So thank you so much to Mac Stadium and the people who have made this event free and possible. We're so, so grateful. All right, Gee, now's your time. Now's yeah. your time to shine. Come on, shine. <laughs> so, so this is my first time meeting Gee, so that was probably an awkward first nice in, to meet you. Inter interaction. Yeah, like, first, could, slow could, down. Could, you, could we hear you pronounce his full name like a real Brazilian? Might yeah, Gee Rambo. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I, I Perfect. It's, it's more like Hambo, I've learned. Paul, you know, ha Hambo? Hambo. There you go. Yeah. Even, even though it looks like Guy Rambo, right? But it's, it's, it's Guy, come on. <laughs> yeah, but John Sedell pronounces it like that, so I just follow his lead. He used to call me G. That, G? That's super lazy. <laughs> come on. I might switch to that just to wind you up. Okay. <laughs> it's been an amazing dub dub. We're all super psyched. I'm guessing you're super psyched. What are you most excited about, Guy? I am most excited about CryptoKit. Okay, CryptoKit. I think, I think not a lot of people are, are aware of that one. Uh, Let's yeah, explain surprise, that a bit. some confusion, perhaps. Yeah, what, is, yeah. what is CryptoKit, Guy? It's one of those things where you, you watch the keynote and there's so much stuff. Yes, like, so, so much. much stuff. And then you open the developer documentation, and then there's a lot of other stuff that they haven't talked about. Mm. And like CryptoKit is one of them. And I recently had to do a project where I had to generate public-private keys using the secure enclave. And it's hard. Mm. Trust me, it is really yeah. hard. So, and this solves that. So it's a nice Swifty API for cryptography. You can do public, private key. You can do encryption, decryption, hashing. Uh, and they do it in a way that it's hard for you to make a mistake, which is super easy to do with. Trust me on this, I could totally do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> me too. So it's really easy to make mistakes and make you, your uh, encryption insecure if you use lower level APIs. But with uh, CryptoKit, they make it easy for you to okay, do it. Okay, so right. why CryptoKit and not, say, Common Crypto, which we had for years and years and years? Yeah, so Common Crypto is lower level, so you have to deal with some constructs that are not as nice and swifty. So CryptoKit is Swift UI for cryptography. I think we're all sold. That's it, you know? That's it. Yeah. You've managed to get Swifty Y into cryptography. Well done. Yeah, so we also want to talk about another big announcement that also got kind of swept under the rug, it felt like. <laughs> like so talk about uh, Marzipan, Catalyst, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yeah, what did it get, like five minutes in the keynote? Like, it's like a huge announcement. Yeah, and just, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other year, that would have been epic. That would have been like, wow, you're all your iPad apps, now we're on a Mac OS, hooray, finish your WC, done. But this year, it's like, move on. In fact, there was probably more time doing the cheese grater Mac Pro than there was doing uh, the other stuff. Just like ATP Live. Like they spent half the oh, episode on, shots fired. on the Mac Pro. <laughs> but, but they are the Mac Pro podcast, so that, yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. We don't so, talk about other podcasts here, Guy. That's my favorite podcast. Come on. Guy, you can sit down now. Except Next up, we have... Yeah, yeah, get, get off stage. Get <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, a catalyst. Uh, it's great. I thought we would be only talking about that after the keynote, but as you mentioned, like, uh, I, I haven't even, like, pressed 
build and run on a Catalyst project yet because I haven't had the time. So you, much stuff. As a Mac developer, you must appreciate that Catalyst on Catalina is an amazing return to the big cat names of OS X. That's beautiful, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Catalyst on Catalina, yeah. So, and what I love about it, and I think uh, people should uh, try this out. So if you have uh, your Mac on the beta, uh, you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> Paul open uh, the music app, open uh, the podcast app, and open the TV app. The TV app and the music app, they are uh, still AppKit. Uh, and the podcast app is Catalyst. Ooh. And you can't really tell the difference. Like, oh, nice. They are very similar. They behave very similarly. You get things like you can have the app not be in the foreground and scroll its contents with the scroll wheel, which you expect from a Mac app. And you can have a nice sidebar, and you can have multiple windows, and preferences, and menus, and touch bar. Yeah, someone made a little um, like a Google Doc or something about all the features, the subtle features that we expect from a Mac OS app. And it was, when you think about it, it's really long. Yeah. And one that got me, that I, I, I know it's there, I love it, but I never really thought about it, was document proxy icons. That's yeah. in the title bar for your window, is a little icon, which is your actual file. You can drag that around, or right click on it to navigate and find it, and so forth, it's the actual file. And I use that a lot, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's that went away useful. with Catalyst because yeah. the rush to get through. But is it, is it there? Is it all working nicely? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. Oh, dear. I haven't tried that out yet. But what I do know that bridges very well is open and save panels, uh, which you can use uh, the document browser on iOS. That becomes an open or save panel oh, on the Mac nice, automatically. Nice. And But something about it which uh, we uh, didn't expect, I wasn't expecting, at least, is you can ship your Catalyst apps outside the App Store if you want to. Right. So that's nice, some, some good freedom there. So you can avoid the Apple tax on Mac OS, but still pay it on iOS. Or iPad that's OS, true. which whatever it is. iPad OS. OK. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, so yeah, so that's awesome. And um, I haven't tried it out yet, but there's this capabilities tab in Xcode. Everyone is familiar with that. On the Mac, one of the options you have is App Sandbox. And on the Mac, the sandbox is optional. And mm. you can remove the sandbox from the Catalyst app. I don't know what that means. <laughs> that means you can. That's very interesting, Guy. Well done. I like that very much. You can do anything you want. <laughs> OK. Yeah, Good. you're free. You can uh, write to the file system, except the system, because that's read only now. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's very clever. So if you didn't know, Guy has a marvelous AppKit app for macOS the WWDC app, right? WWDC.io. There you go. Got that domain. <laughs> I have stickers, by the way, not here, but I can go up to my oh. and grab them. <laughs> I can grab them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real, real, quick, <laughs> real quick question, because I haven't had a chance to play with Catalyst, because the app I'm working on isn't really conducive to the Mac. Uh, what does the checkbox actually get you? Like, does it like 80% of the way? Like, how much does that actually do, the magic checkbox? So once you check the box, first of all, you keep just one target for all platforms, which is great. You don't have to be managing multiple targets. Uh, and most apps have embedded frameworks. They have extensions. So they do the best they can to make sure your frameworks are building to UIKit for Mac. Uh, because it, it's not the same as the iOS simulator. It's, it's a separate environment. So you have a special build of everything for UIKit for Mac. Oh. Um, so it makes sure it builds your, your frameworks accordingly. And it will, uh, you know the embedded framework section you have in the project? So now you can choose, is this embedded for iOS, 
for Mac or for both. So you can like choose where your framework goes and it's going to automatically remove extensions that don't make sense on the Mac, like a watch extension. Uh, so basically, depending on how complex your app is, just by checking the box and pressing build and run, you have your app running on the Mac, and then it's just a matter of optimizing it. And they've added some uh, pound if statements you can use to like com conditionally compile for iOS, uh, for uh, UIKit on the Mac, and for uh, UIKit on iOS. Okay, just out of curiosity, folks in the audience, how many of you who, who currently make iOS apps are going to give it a try putting your apps onto Catalyst? Hands? Okay, so the folks listening to the podcast, no one put their hand up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It seems like quite a few folks are interested in giving it a try. Of course, I guess being interested doesn't mean shipping it. I mean, you, you check the box and then it doesn't, doesn't build, <laughs> and then nah. <laughs> Maybe another year. <laughs> Well, I guess, because the thing is, anyone, Too can hard. A, anyone can make a bad Mac app, right? You can, We yeah. use Electron for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess it's the, the little touches, adding your menu bars and you're getting your right clicks, right, and similar, you know, making it really feel like a good Mac app. Noah, as a Mac developer, uh, something that blew my mind, and the, the theme for this year's WWC, uh, I think that they knew they had a lot of stuff, so they used the... the Nailed it .jpg. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The Thanks mind that, blown theme makes yeah. a lot of sense. Uh, so what blew my mind when I was watching one, I think it was Platform State of the Union, was when they dragged a main menu inside an iOS storyboard. The, that was like, what? Like, uh, main, so yeah, so you can drag a main menu into your storyboard. Uh, I, I don't like storyboards, but you shouldn't do a menu programmatically. That, that's tricky, so use storyboards for that. Uh, or Swift UI, I guess. <laughs> so they made that easy. So you can get a standard Mac menu. You can yeah. put your custom items in there. You can have contextual menus, which work on iPad OS as well. So you can have contextual menus on iPad as well. And you can do touch bar if you use AV player view controller. If you use text views, you get the standard touch bar for that. Folks, uh, I, if you want to raise your right hand and pick it up to me, I will not add support for the touch bar. <laughs> You've got to enable Apple to kill it freely and happily in about a year's time. It'd be lovely. I want touch bar everywhere. I want it on the external keyboard. I want it, Paul. I want it. The entire keyboard is going to be the touch bar. <laughs> I hate you both. Right. So, <laughs> So we're sitting here, a couple hundred folks thinking about porting their iOS apps to macOS. Cool. The other side of the story is folks like you who have invested a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy in AppKit. Got a great mature AppKit app. It's a lovely app, by the way. Is it for you? Will you say, right, off we go, port the uh, iOS version? Yeah, I'm, I'm not considering that for like the WWDC app because it's a large code base and uh, Apple makes a, a good iOS app for WWDC, so I don't think there's a need for that. I'm happy with where we are right now. But I do have an iOS app, uh, Chibi Studio, and I think it's going to work well on the Mac, so I'm bringing that to the Mac. And we have an internal tool we use to create the content for, for this app, and it's an AppKit app, but I'm currently considering rewriting it all in Swift UI. And make it run on both the iPad and the Mac. I guess as a Mac developer, you've now got uh, some confusion. You've got to say, well, I've, I want a new Mac app. Is it going to be AppKit? Will it be Mac UI Kit? Will it be Swift UI? 
Will it be? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but you've always had choices. Like uh, they they uh, put put up the slides like where you have the web, then you have AppKit, then you have Metal, and you have like SyncKit and whatever. So this is another option. So I guess uh, if you are familiar with UIKit, you know UIKit, you, you you like UIKit, you're comfortable with it. There's no reason why not use it. And I mean, I love UIKit. I think my next Mac app is going to be a new IKEA app. Is there actually a, is there a What's New in Cocoa this year? I'm not sure. I don't think I so. Don't, yeah. I think, I, I, I'm not sure what actual APIs were announced for macOS this year. Um, there, there's NS Switch. Yeah, oh, there is. You're right. It's <laughs> NS Switch. Yeah, I guess specifically for porting across the IKEA apps. Uh, again, yeah. it's all about a bigger picture, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Guy. Thanks for having me. Next up, we always like to end every show with what we call the open ballot. We put out a question to the community, we get a flood of answers back, and then we pick a few to talk about. This time, Paul put out a tweet about Swift UI, which you know, got a little bit of a response. So we're gonna have Kaya Thomas come up, join us. We're gonna go through the tweets, give our thoughts on it. Hi, Kaya. So, dub dub, yay or nay? Yay, all the way. You are loving it on Twitter, I see. You are all over it on Twitter. Yes. And what's your biggest uh, exciting thing from this year? Voice control. I mean, let's give a round of applause for his accessibility. I mean, yeah, that, that, that demo was real impressive. Yeah, I mean, voice control, in my, in my opinion, is like the biz biggest accessibility announcement since voiceover. I mean, how many of you have used switch, switch control ever or ever looked at it? Okay, maybe five six people, um, just thinking about switch control where you had to literally wait for it to go horizontally and then vertically down and then you had to pick the X and Y axis. Such a slow way to interact with this technology. So with voice control now, it just opens up a whole new world for folks with mobile disabilities. So I'm so happy about that announcement. Yeah, so I, I'm not, I haven't looked at through the APIs yet, but I'm hoping it's kind of free. I like just get it. Yeah, I mean, we get it with all the, the UI uh, accessibility APIs. So Amazing. everything built in, it's, it's incredible. And it's going to allow us, as developers, an easier way to test our accessibility of our apps. So. Right. Actually, I was at one of the Swift UI labs today, and I was asking them about their accessibility story. They've thought about it from day one. It's really baked right into Swift UI. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many amazing things you can do with it, just pretty out of the box. It just figures out so much stuff for you, which is kind of what people need. Yep. Because, you know, so many talks we do where we say, <laughs> you know, please add to yep. support. It's really important. You kind of hit half the audience, maybe, half go away. They're on Slack, they'll listen to you. So the more that the frameworks do for us, the better it is, right? Yep, I completely agree. Okay, so in the open ballot, we put out a question asking folks about SwiftUI, how keen are they to do it, and we got back, unsurprisingly, stacks and stacks of answers, because it's obviously totally new, totally declarative, all Swift code, very, very clever, but it's a bit of a, a mental speed bump, let's call it. It's a whole new way of thinking, a <laughs> whole new way of working. It'll take some uh, time to adapt, I think. And we had a massive range of answers. Uh, so here's one here from Julian Schiavo who says, very impressive what I've seen so far, can't wait to start using it and building more complex layouts, hoping for more improvements in error handling within Xcode and even more complex layouts. So very, very happy. And definitely like it when we finish at the Apple tutorial tonight. Very cool framework. The tutorial, by the way, is amazing. What they've built there, the interactive, gorgeous sort of animations moving between things and guiding you through with tests at the end. It's super, super nice. 
Yeah, I, I learned a hard lesson. Uh, I put out a tweet that said, I almost fell over, that uh, said Swift UI, I'm skeptical, just because I wanted to like wait and see. <laughs> and I learned that if you're not 100% all in on Swift UI, you're a hater and you think yep. it's gonna fail yep. and it sucks. Yep. Like, that's what I learned, that's what I learned. I mean, I... That plus the all touch bar keyboard puts you on two strikes, Sean. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, Be very careful. My point was, it just felt too good to be true. It felt like magic, right? Like I say, like if somebody walked up to you and handed you 10 grand, you would be like, what? You'd give them the side eye. Like I'm giving Swift UI the side eye right now. I'm like, you're too good to be true. Let me, let me see this in a more kind of complex setting. That being said, I'm rooting for it. I hope it works. But yeah, I got a lot of tweets, you know, thinking I was a hater and saying, oh, you're wrong. It's the future. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I, just wanna, I just wanna see it. I'm more on the op optimistic side, so I really agree with like these tweets. Nice. I, I'm so excited. And the tutorials, like you said, they're just mind-blowingly easy. It's like so easy to get into it um, and learn. I, I honestly think it's going to open up iOS development to a lot of folks who haven't done it and folks who have been you know, afraid to learn or thought it was too steep of a learning curve. I think it's really going to open up um, a new world for, for iOS developers. Actually, if you notice that the DubDub uh, session proposals, there's one getting started with Xcode. That's amazing, because it is trying to get a whole new generation of folks in. That plus, in theory, simpler Swift UI code, everyone can code on the playground and so forth. We can see a bigger picture really coming together to expand the community further and further and further, which is amazing. We had some folks saying that they want to see more information, really. Uh, Neve Power says, super excited about it, but gutted it's only available in iOS 13 up. Means we don't, don't get to use, utilize it for ages. Jeff Kelly says, I think any new project I start, at least for myself, will be Swift UI only. It's compelling. In a few years when clients are okay with dropping iOS 12, it'll get huge traction. So that's basically a back compat story, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole N minus one kind of thing. Yeah, it's just like Swift when it rolled out. Like, it's gonna, seems amazing, seems awesome, but it's gonna be a couple years before this is widely adopted. Yeah. I think the point of it is for us to play around with it, like on side projects and really learn. I don't think it's ready for production apps yet, and most of us probably in our day jobs are not gonna get to use it at work maybe, but I think on the side, this is our time to really explore and file radars, well, feedback. File radars, <laughs> folks, file those radars. Right, what, and, what's and a radar? really, what's and a really radar? help it Grow, so. Oh, feedback, sorry. Yeah, File exactly. of feedback. <laughs> yeah, so uh, one of the many perks of, of my job being a writer is I haven't got to worry about iOS N minus <laughs> one. All my codes, 5.1, all 13, it makes my life so much easier. <laughs> Habi Soto says, mind blown emoji. Uh, anxious to learn more. And Kelly Hutchison says, I want to see how it holds up with the network source and things like pull to refresh and failed data fetches. So this is one of those things that, um, and you've all seen dub videos before, you know what it's like, there you go, click, 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 it just works. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't release their source code, and there was actually a 4,000 4, line function just off screen you couldn't see that does the magic <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, and that can be awfully annoying. So what we don't know really is the meat of it. I mean, you might, you might realize there is no UI text view. It doesn't exist. If your app uses text views, you can't have Swift UI. Attributed strings, pfft, don't have those either. Right? So there's things they haven't got yet. You have to try and bridge them back to UI kit and similar, right? So you've got to plan ahead, and, and it's just not really fully there yet. And if it was, it's iOS 13 only. 
Yeah, that, I mean, it is disappointing, and I think that there's a lot that's to come. I mean, I, I went to the Swift UI Essentials today, and they showed the form, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> it's amazing, let me use it right now. And then I went, and it's not available. And I tweeted about it, and they're like, oh, C2. And I'm like, okay, cool. But I think there's always this, like, you know, you don't have to get started right now. I think that there's... Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, you do. I mean, you're skeptical. You're a hater. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's dubbed up, like, it's a lot of pressure to get started, but we have plenty of time to, like, learn, and I think, like, you shouldn't be too anxious, so. No, but it's interesting that there is still more to come. I mean, I've been digging through so many corners of it, and you see amazing things, like, built-in, super-fast 3D rotation and so forth. I did, like, a Star Wars opening crawl in literally 30 seconds. It's remarkable, and there's still more to come. C2, C3, C4, GM, who knows what we're going to see yeah. next year, and who knows? No, this is exactly where I'm at right here. I think it looks amazing, mind blown. I'm just taking that wait and see approach. Like I said, it's the super early version. Hate, hate, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate it. It sucks. Get rid of it. <laughs> <sighs> we have some questions here. This is a really important one, I think. This one here from David Lawrence. Yes, I'm impressed. And having spent the last nine months diving into UIKit as a new iOS developer, I'm wondering where I should focus my efforts. Yeah. This is a big one. I've been asked this already two dozen times. That and when you do my books for Swift UI. Thanks, folks. Um, <laughs> it's important because people are now thinking do I do UIKit? Do I do Swift UI? And, you know, at DubDub today and yesterday and so forth, they're announcing massive new UIKit features. Things like the table view diffing or the collection view diffing, huge things. And we're thinking, well, do I, do I go to that? Do I watch that video or do I do something else? You know, I don't have to put my time. It's awfully hard. What do you think, Sean? It's a hard question. I agree. And like, you know, a lot of our audience is people just learning how to code. Like I know David, I interact with him a lot, and I didn't have a good answer for him. When he asked me this question too, he's like, what should I learn? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't really have a good answer. Because yeah, Swift UI is a new hotness. Like that's going to be the future. I think everybody believes that. So maybe you want to get on that train early. But at the same time, like we just said, it's not going to be a real thing for a couple years. If you learn today, what would you learn, Kaya? Uh, I wouldn't, if I were like just getting started, probably not Swift UI. And I think it's because like, I, I started iOS development five years ago, right? So when, just when Swift came out and I started learning Objective-C, I didn't go straight into, I know, I didn't go straight into Swift. Um, because when you think about it, if you're a, just a beginner person learning, there's gonna be so many changes. Think Swift one to now. Um, and I think it's harder as a developer, to, a new developer to understand like what those changes mean, how to adapt to them. So I think that it's better to stick with just um, UI kit for now because there's more mature tutorials, resources out there. I think that next year there's going to be so much resources and things that are more mature and I would suggest like beginners do it then but not like as soon as it comes out. So it sounds like... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we can expect Swift UI 3 to break everything. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> in 20th time, it'll still be too soon. You know, yeah. <laughs> left mental scars and always will. Um, so it's interesting that Swift UI is such a very different change. But it's also, I think, interesting that it's also fairly small. Even though I said, you know, you can do amazing things with it, there is no map kit. There is no uh, text for you. There is no whatever. Um, collection view? Yeah, but it, yeah, exactly. Collection views are missing. Uh, and that, in my view, is actually fairly smart because Bluntly, they probably made it already. It's just sort of sitting there in a cavern with some dust on it. But if they released it all on day one, 
They're tying themselves into this massive framework forever because they don't mind breaking the language. They can migrate the language. If they say, hey, stop using this text view, use this other view instead, it just demolishes our code. It becomes really, really hard to move across. So by starting with a fairly small UI footprint and then expanding it and expanding it, expanding it, hopefully they'll avoid the Swift 3 kinds of problems in the future. We will see. And one to end on, brace yourselves, folks. Masya Kowalski, unpopular opinion, the new <laughs> Swift UI looks a lot like Flutter. Who's used Flutter? Wow, they raised their hands. They actually raised their hands. <laughs> Brave people. A handful of folk view Flutter? No. No. What is it? It's, <laughs> it's just... I mean, it's... It, Google, they're going to use it. Is it Java? Is it Kotlin? Is it Dart? Is it Flutter? I don't care anymore. It's not going to exist in a year's time, is it, quite frankly, because they kill everything they come across. So um, <laughs> it looks a lot like Flutter, maybe, but it'll still be here in 24 months' time. Yep. That's the main difference, I think. <laughs> OK. Thank you very much, Kaya. Hey, thank you, Kaya. Okay, so that wraps up this episode of Swift Over Coffee. Once again, I would like to thank our guest hosts. We have Kaya, Christina, Guy, and JP. Thank you very much. And we also want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, uh, Max Stadium, AltConf, and we forgot to mention Breaker back there in the corner who's helping record uh, the audio. So big thank you to Breaker back there. Thanks for the sponsors. As a reminder, we do have stickers. Come and grab them while you still can. Uh, I'm Paul Hudson. I'm Sean Allen. And you've been a lovely, lovely audience. Thank you very much.